again. Jesse here. This is The Epoch of Incredulity, Season 4, Episode 128, recorded February 6th, 2024, featuring commentary from comrades Joe, Haba, and myself. Topics include chauvinism under a thin blue veil, ICJ ruins on Palestine and Ukraine, funding pulled from UNRWA, resistance fighters do what they do, dumb fascist shit in the Wall Street Journal, ceasefire negotiations, Irish reunification, politics as a pop culture spectacle, the high priests of owning class economics, pigeons, dolphins, chickens, parrots, guy has a long name, and some pseudo-slams from the southeast. After that first campaign, I had one conversation. It was with my congressman, Congressman Lynch. He said to me that a lot of times, especially coming from a neighborhood like mine, that you get elected your first time because of who your parents were and what your parents did. Now, I have never heard a politician publicly say that. The Yeah, let's start over. Sorry, I couldn't. I saw the push notification of like something was like Stephen Lynch being a socialist, and I was like, "Am I hallucinating, or did I read the word Stephen Lynch and socialist in the same sentence?" I guess I can just read this article verbatim. I couldn't stop thinking about that. Um. So. WBUR article, the title is Stewart's Financial Woes, Raise Questions About For-Profit Healthcare. In the Boston area, you have Mass General Brigham, you have Beth Israel Leahy, and you have The Secret Third Thing, which is Steward Healthcare. And it might be down to two pretty soon, because according to Stephen Lynch, quote, they expressed their intent to exit the Massachusetts healthcare market we had not had advance notice prior to a week ago that they were in difficulty or that they were contemplating exiting the Massachusetts healthcare market. He called the pronouncement from Stewart surprising and expected more notice, pointed out that Stewart has received more than $150 million in federal funding for its Massachusetts operations over the past few years and is wondering where the money went. Quote, I think the underlying message is that the for-profit model does not work. Unquote, Lynch said. Shit, I did not expect that kind of statement from someone like Stephen Lynch. <laughs> and who is Stephen Lynch? Refresh oh my memories. God. He's like <laughs> the most reactionary, like, Massachusetts House Democrat. Okay. Basically, like, the stereotype of, like, an Irish-American guy from Boston. He's probably the most blue-blood legislator in the state. I wanted to throw in a clip of Stephen Lynch as, like, a flourish. But then when I started looking for one, I realized just how much the political customs around here play into this dynamic that makes me really uncomfortable but doesn't seem to be on the radar of anybody that I work with. And so now I've put together this special treat this early in the episode because fuck you, I'm the one doing the labor, and also fuck me, I'm the one doing the labor. I don't really know enough about the history of unionism in Massachusetts to tell a unique or compelling story. Maybe we'll have somebody else on the show in the near future who can do that for me. But either way, the impact that it has on our state's politics is pretty hard to miss, especially during campaign season. And one unfortunate aspect of 
union power in this area is that the most heavily endorsed candidates tend to be the Stephen Lynch types. Pretty much exactly what you'd imagine when you think of Boston, which is to say, South Boston. <laughs> this is, I think, the political foundation that maintains both the healthy and unhealthy elements of a blue dog, quote unquote, democracy. Support for some of the staple public works is more or less baked into the system. Labor unions have contributed more to Stephen Lynch than has any other industry. Public sector unions alone have outspent even lawyers and lobbyists. Lynch, likewise, consistently supports public investment in the Postal Service, in the MBTA, infrastructure projects for tradesmen, and even public health care. So let's, let's glimpse into uh, Lynch's philosophy on this latter, latter point. In my home state of Massachusetts, I've worked closely with the Home Base Program, a nonprofit organization founded by Massachusetts General Hospital and the Boston Red Sox that operates in close cooperation with the Department of Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense. We need only look at the recent debt ceiling crisis to demonstrate that funding for veterans' medical care should not be susceptible to political brinksmanship and the constant threat of disruption. Mm, very interesting. Perhaps we're starting to get a picture here. Lynch also pays lip service to the basic tenets of diversity and inclusion, gender equality, gay rights, and even multiculturalism. What have you, Lynch? These foreign students that are coming in to attend our universities are paying full freight. They are not eligible for, for federal aid. They're not eligible for state aid. They're paying full tuition. And in many cases, they are subsidizing our kids. I do a lot of work in Europe and Asia and Africa, and I can't tell you how many times I have met with a foreign leader, a prime minister or a president or a cabinet secretary in a foreign country, and they have said, oh yeah, I, I went to BC, or I went to Harvard, or I went to Georgetown. And, and their time in this country has been a blessing. It's been a connection that they have to this country. I think I sense some themes emerging. Let's reorient ourselves toward the imperial periphery, and in the process, we might stumble upon such an exchange as... You're the only congressman in history who was both arrested for punching Iranians at a protest in 1979 and for smoking marijuana at a Willie Nelson concert in 1977. I'm curious, first... Tell me why do they call us happy hour again? Yes, I think it's becoming very clear now. Here we can see that Lynch staunchly supports big military aid packages for Israel and Ukraine, and echoes the sentiment that much of society's woes can be traced back to the crisis at the border. Not of children in cages, of course, but of how unfair it is that these self-aggrandizing Southerners keep sending illegals to Massachusetts without himself acknowledging the connection between American interventionism and its consequences. And that sums up the big American blind spot why liberals don't take me seriously when I say that life isn't any better under a Biden military occupation than it was under the Trump military occupation that preceded it. The increase in genocide cases being brought to international court isn't a result of more genocides taking place, per se. It's the result of global interconnectedness making the process by which the Imperium obtains its resources more difficult to ignore. See, our borders might remain closed to people, but they're always open for capital. And technology allows us to get that capital from wherever we want without having to take care of any of the people that create it for us. Which really makes the healthier elements of that blue dog democracy seem kind of sinister, doesn't it? It's a little weird. 
almost like it's a, it's a more effective way to package American chauvinism to people who don't like to think about them pores all that much. Be real shame if we started to, you know, really feel the consequences of austerity and nobody was there to placate us with a pilot program for free museum visits on holiday weekends while simultaneously placating the sheriff's department with a truckload of surveillance equipment and tear gas canisters. But I'm getting ahead of myself. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, the, the contradictions are definitely heightened in that scenario. Uh, do I still have that sounder up? Consider your contradictions heightened. I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> I have this one though. Finna make your ass crack turn horizontal. Got your shit coming out like an envelope. <laughs> That's one of my favorite ones. Definitely. I don't think I've heard that before. <laughs> He's played it before. You've been here. You just oh, yeah. haven't been paying attention. I've been here. Yeah, I know. Oh, uh, whatever. Joe, do you want to talk about the updates from Palestine? Uh, surprisingly, it's mostly not entirely bad news. First off, the ICJ ruled in favor of South Africa in the preliminary genocide hearing. So I feel vindicated. <laughs> so suck it, Israel. Also, apparently, uh, Nicaragua and like a bunch of other countries are taking Germany, I think Sweden and the U.S. to the ICJ over, like, complicity in the genocide? I hope so. Yeah, the ICJ has been busy this month. They had the South Africa case. They just ruled against Ukraine twice in the past week. Can you explain that, please? There were a couple cases filed in, like, 2017 and another one this year. The 2017 case was, like, Ukraine trying to have the two breakaway republics in the Donbass, the Luhansk People's Republic. And the Donetsk People's Republic declared as like terrorist entities to try to undermine the separatist movement in the east of Ukraine and also to undermine the Russian justification for intervention, which was that Russia signed mutual like assurance treaties with both of those republics and then they requested military assistance under those treaties. That's what compelled intervention because the case was made that Ukraine was committing genocide in the Donbass, which the ICJ has agreed to hear that case and make a ruling on it, which is definitely a blow to Ukraine. The ICJ stated that Russia was not a aggressor state. One of the other complaints Ukraine made was that Russia was invoking the genocide convention in bad faith, which was tossed out by the ICJ. So those are like the two setbacks for them. Okay. Yeah, and that it tracks with what I was saying about like the the ICJ was not tasked with making a ruling on whether or not the act of genocide had been committed or is being committed. All it needed to do was make a decision in regard to whether the accusation is plausible, meaning is there some evidence pointing to the fact that what is claimed comports with the genocide convention, meaning the violence of Ukrainian nationals versus Russian separatists in Ukraine and Israeli settlers versus Palestinians. And the Zionist state itself versus the Palestinians. Because that's like a multi-pronged genocide. The settlers and the state itself. Were the settlers <laughs> even part of the 
I thought it was just the state itself that was. I'm just trying to not. I don't want to say the state of Israel because, like, it's like not in our style guide. <laughs> yeah. So the ICJ has been busy when they ruled in favor of South Africa's case. Half of the NATO states' immediate response was to cut UNRWA funding, which is really insane when you consider the fact that UNRWA employs like 20, 30 percent of the population in Gaza. Joe, can you or remind not, not us Not even what... like just like how much like how much of like the uh, humanitarian aid is provided by UNRWA, but like they are like the largest employer. Can you remind us what UNRWA stands for? The UN uh, Relief and Works Agency. Thank you. They're the main entity that's providing like humanitarian aid through the United Nations, but they are entirely dependent on international funding, like from countries through the UN. They also provide the vast majority of the total amount of money providing material aid to Palestinian refugees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like food. Yeah, food, water. Uh, right now, the state of things is that supplies are so strained at the moment that the healthcare sector in Gaza doesn't even have enough reagent to be able to test for like hepatitis A and other like diseases right now. So like the numbers are going to get difficult to tell like how many people are suffering from like hepatitis A or diarrhea. We don't know. Why don't we know it? Because we don't have the reagents to do the fucking testing. In the same vein, the United States finally also acknowledged that the statistics coming out of Palestine that were allegedly some kind of fucking psyop by Hamas are actually good numbers, and they have consistently been good numbers for, like, decades. The Israelis themselves privately acknowledge that, like, they're the only accurate numbers because our guesses, like, the numbers that we claim is happening is usually just made up. Yeah. What's their statistics bureau called? The Palestinian Health Ministry, or the Gaza Ministry of Health. I mean, they typically undercount because until they have definitive identification of... It's because, like, you know, there are a bunch of people buried under rubble. Right. If they can't find somebody, they don't just write it off as a death. Yeah. Right. But uh, there is surprisingly positive news, despite, you know, all the death and misery and destruction. The Palestinian resistance in the last two weeks since we last recorded have basically embarked upon what I view as analogous to like the Tet Offensive in Vietnam, in which they have staged several high profile, high casual, inflicting high casualties in like a very short period of time on the Israelis in places where the Israelis claim to have cleared the resistance out of, like in the north of Gaza, what was it, like three weeks ago, I think? The Palestinians killed 30 Israelis in, like, one specific engagement. Actually, they used the Israelis' explosives against them because the Israelis were trying to, like, demo a house as part of their campaign of trying to destroy all the infrastructure so that Palestinians don't have houses. And the Palestinians fired an RPG at the building, which caused all of the Israeli charges to explode, which brought the building down on top of them. And then they blew up the tank that was covering them. And they've done this several times now in the past couple of weeks where they like blow up a building and then blow up the tank support. So Israel is suffering heavy casualties in a way that they can't really conceal. They actually retreated from the north and the west of Gaza last week. And as it happens a couple of hours ago, negotiations for like a ceasefire actually have begun, or at least uh, the Palestinian resistance 
just issued its like counter offer a couple hours ago and it, like what's happening is that there's like a peace process like all of the resistance factions are united and they're like collectively made a response a couple hours ago the negotiations are happening like indirectly they're being held in paris and like the qataris and the egyptians are like serving as like the intermediaries between the palestinians and like the israelis didn't families of israeli hostages yes they also like a couple weeks ago they stormed into the israeli parliament demanding a ceasefire the families of the hostages are making things incredibly politically inconvenient for the current Israeli government because at this point they're calling for a ceasefire irregardless of what the terms of negotiations would be. Like they don't care what they have to give up, which kind of a big problem for the Israeli government. Because they don't, they don't care about actual people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Israeli army admitted to an additional like 30 hostages that they have quote unquote accidentally killed. Oh, whoops. I noticed a pretty abrupt change in coverage, and it surprised me. Um, I don't watch TV. I've said this like a trillion times, but every Friday when I go into work, like CNN is always fucking on or NBC or whatever. And uh, instead of the usual everybody we don't like is Hamas kind of a thing, they were airing like discussions about the Palestinian child with the white flag that was killed by Israeli snipers. That is new. Also, last week, the Israelis kind of stepped in it. They, they murdered a Palestinian-American teenager in the West Bank last week, like a Palestinian with U.S. citizenship. Even if it's just for the sake of appearing to be on the right side of history or being able to maintain a platform for advertising or whatever... It indicates that the quote-unquote court of public opinion has, the tide has turned. Subsequent reporting leads me to believe that this shift in coverage may actually reflect a breaking point among CNN's own staff, who have come forward in droves to criticize the unscrupulous editorial process under CEO and editor-in-chief Mark Thompson. A report from The Guardian, published on February 4th, detailed Israel's overarching control over the narrative presented by CNN and the expanding rift between journalists and executives. The article quoted a company insider as saying, There's a lot of internal strife and dissent. Some people are looking to get out. Another said, CNN's coverage of the Israel-Gaza war amounts to journalistic malpractice. Yet another staffer, describing an internal directive from Thompson, commented, Every action by Israel, dropping massive bombs that wipe out entire streets, its obliteration of whole families, the coverage ends up messaged to create a they-had-it-coming narrative. Still another staffer acknowledged that the complacency in our editorial standards and journalistic integrity while reporting on Ukraine has come back to haunt us. Journalistic complacency is an easier pill for the world to swallow when it's Arab lives lost instead of European. It'd be wise for us to take controversy like this with a grain of salt, as the appearance of strife can be used to mitigate responsibility of those involved, e.g. Biden's alleged frustration with Netanyahu, but this pushback against Israeli propaganda is more credible given the unfavorable optics it generates for CNN executives and the war machine. So not if you ask like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, who have honestly actually gotten more unhinged, like the Wall Street Journal ran an op-ed that said that Dearborn, Michigan is now like the American capital of jihad. <laughs> That's pretty base. <laughs> no, they meant it as like, Sharia law, kind of, like, very... Uh, that's sad. Ooh. 
Yeah, uh, because like Dearborn, Michigan is like the city with the largest <laughs> Muslim population in the country. And the mayor of Dearborn and like their elected leaders refused to like meet with the Biden campaign because they're like, no, you're like fucking murdering tens of thousands of Muslims. We don't want to talk to you. I was kidding, Joe. I know that. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I was just explaining what happened. And so like, I, I don't know why Thomas Friedman is still allowed to like run op-eds at all. Because he, uh, he published this op-ed, I think the title was something along the lines of the Middle East through the lens of like Animal Kingdom or whatever the fuck. And he was comparing Muslims to insects that need to be like crushed. Yeah. It was like a bad poem. Yeah. It got yeah. weirder the further you went into it. It was like too racist for me to engage with at this hour of the day. I'm gonna just... I almost don't want to say this because it's such an obvious observation, but it's like, that's exactly what people used to say about Jews. No, that that is exactly, yeah. That they were like bugs that needed to be like stepped on. Mm-hmm. And in this case, what was it? Wasps. And uh, you know what? I'm not even going to repeat it because it's... Yeah, it's it's bad. It's that stupid. I thought it was a joke, honestly. When you <laughs> Yeah, the first time I saw it, I thought it was some kind of meme. And then I went on the New York Times like, oh, shit. No, this is actually real. I thought it was like somebody pretending to be saying the quiet part out loud. And then the entire column was just screaming the quiet part loud through like a foghorn. <laughs> it's like, wow, I-, I thought I'd have to go to some like explicitly reactionary outlet for this kind of level of racism. I mean, I could understand it if it was, like, you know the movie Ants? Yes. Mm-hmm. If it was something like that, where there wasn't actually people being assigned to each species of insect. Yes, it was like Iran and Palestine were like wasps and insects, and America and Israel was like the lion. Which is a pretty unfair fight. A lion is going to kill a butterfly or something. Yeah, it's not really a great <laughs> analogy because of the fact that you know, Israel is losing really badly. Title of the episode right there. What? A lion is gonna kill a butterfly. I don't know. We'll workshop it. <laughs> but, yeah. The resistance issued its uh, demands. They made a counteroffer. And they were talking to al in a couple hours ago. Their top priority among all of the resistance factions from like Hamas to Palestinian Islamic Jihad, like the Democratic Front for Palestinian Liberation, the Popular Front for Palestinian Liberation, they all came to the consensus that permanent ceasefire is like top priority. But they are also demanding from Israel funds for reconstruction, shelter, like immediate aid. They are also looking for like a permanent ceasefire and uh, prisoner exchange, but they they also want a way of guaranteeing the, the Israelis don't like violate any kind of ceasefire agreement because they don't trust the Israelis at all. According to uh, a member of Hamas's like Politburo, the Israelis are liars. The United States is too heavily biased towards Israel to be taken seriously. They view, like, the nations and organizations that could, like, provide uh, a guarantee of honoring this agreement would be, like, quote, namely, Turkey, Qatar, Egypt, Russia, and the United Nations as possible arbiters. The official demands were, like, the first stage of the agreement regarding the establishment of housing for displaced people and... The next stage would be like prisoner exchange, then like a permanent, well, I mean, after the ceasefire begins. 
but they also want like reconstruction funds to be paid for, which is going to cost Israel a fuck ton of money. I think it was uh, the United Nations Committee on like Trade and like Development or whatever. They estimate that it's going to take several tens of billions of dollars to reconstruct Gaza, and it's probably going to take like 70 years to fully finish reconstruction. Come on, Hav. You're supposed to... (laughs) I was just thinking, was somebody in the Discord comparing that amount to like big digs? They were like measuring it. and Mike was measuring it in big digs. No, he was me- he was measuring the uh, the, the 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 bipartisan bill for like security funding, more funding for Israel and Ukraine. Yeah, that bill is a massive shit show, and it's not really great that both parties are bought into it. Though interestingly enough, Trump opposes it because he thinks that it would give the Democrats like an election year like boost, even though it basically gives the right everything they want as far as immigration and migration policy. Mike was like, yeah, like. We're sending like the equivalent of like a little over one big dig to Israel. And then I was like, yeah, we're going to be sending like the equivalent of about like 4.2 big digs to Ukraine. We're going to sound like about <laughs> one and a half to, uh, to the border. It sounds like big dicks, bro. It, it, <laughs> it, I can't not hear it. <laughs> I'm just imagining that like Joe Biden, like, we're gonna send over a bunch of big dicks i'm gonna send like five billion dollars worth of big dicks to taiwan you better get your big balls ready because we're gonna send over a bunch of big dicks (laughs) honestly legitimately sounds like something you might say on accident given the fact that today he claimed to have met with a french politician who died like seven months before i was born I remember when I was 15 years old, you get a pair of big dicks for about a nickel. (laughs) A two-pack. And you'd show me your friend and compare dicks. (laughs) Whose dick is bigger? Baseball card, but for dicks. He honestly did not look good. Like he was, he had to like close his eyes while he was talking. It looked like he was straining. And he was like, Right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, You know, what? Why? How, how long are you back for? Francois Mitterrand died of prostate cancer in January 1996. So. That guy had a really big dick. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who he thought he was talking to. Well, you got anything else on Palestine or you want to do Irish reunification? Uh, yeah, we're probably going to move to Ireland. I mean, I wish I could move there. Everyone's moving to Ireland. Land of the free. Home of the pale. <laughs> i feel like biden today like i'm on that wavelength right now i'm like only slightly like more functioning than him today the coherence comes in waves depending on how intense the headaches are i worked my way up from the top i was a shovel of coal mines in the (laughs) we worked together on a titanic That's how we pass the time. We compare our big dicks. 
<laughs> he said, last one in the boiler room is a, caught a rotten dick. <laughs> what are you doing? Your mic, Stop bro. making Joe touch his microphone so he can talk about Irish reunification. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you just put them together? <laughs> Everybody in the everybody in the top part and everybody in the bottom part they're best of friends. Come on, Jack. Don't make this harder than it needs to be. Or, you know, ideally we could just send like the Protestant like colonist back to England. It's like that song by the cranberries. What was it uh Wow Mal's idea on like the latest episode of the D program? Let, let's just let's give England back to Wales. Wales has a pretty dope flag. Yeah, they do. It's got a dagron on it. A dagron? That's what, does you know Homestar Runner? That's what, like, Dag- wow. Str- Strong Mad is carving into the desk when they're all drawing Trogdors. Uh, Northern Ireland uh, just elected its first ever nationalist first minister, who's basically, like, the head of government in Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's really incredibly promising. Interestingly enough, technically she was elected two years ago because of the way Northern Ireland is currently governed as per like the 1998 Good Friday Agreement, there's a power sharing agreement between like the nationalists and the unionists and like the largest unionist party, the Democratic Unionist Party, like the right wing fanatics, they're still like simps for Britain. They boycotted the Northern Irish Assembly for like two years because they wanted some kind of trade deal with, between the UK and Ireland, like post-Brexit. And that finally ended a couple of weeks ago, which allowed Sinn Féin's elected leader in Northern Ireland to become the first minister. So now Sorry. the nationalists formally are wielding power in the north for the first time ever. Hell yeah. And it's kind of wild because like the next general election isn't until March 2025 in, in the south. But it's a foregone conclusion that Sinn Féin is going to win. It's just a question of like, what will the margin of victory be? So, like, by this time next year, Sinn Féin will most likely be in power in both the North and the South for the first time. It's based. And uh, last I checked, I think a majority of the population in the North support reunification now, which is new. Also based. I don't get my hopes up yet. It could happen. That's dope. Jesse, do you want to talk about your... uh... The thing, your WWE the weather, thing. Or like the insane, like, <laughs> Bernie man, but for, like, right-wingers who, like, are yeah. terrified of non-existent immigrants. Pop culture thing. I'm taking up Scott's old chair. Well, it's not old. It's the same. It's the same chair. It's a fine chair. It's just, it's a little dusty. But I'll sit in it. It smells okay. It smells like, it smells like weed. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go I on. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just if this is just clicking for me or what. May I think it's because like hearing the statistic that like nearly twenty percent of the voting populace said that they would consider a voting recommendation for president by Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. And then another fucking 18% said that they would vote the other way, 
the opposite of whatever she recommended. And I was just thinking, like, if one person can make a recommendation like that. And people, enough people will actually, like, take it seriously. If people think that the best way that they can exercise their democracy, you know, whatever conception of what their democratic influence is as an individual is by, like, either doing exactly what or not what Taylor Swift wants them to do. Americans are, like, the dumbest fucking people alive. <laughs> no, it's just, like, that is how little politics actually matters to people in the United States, even people who claim they're political. And if that's true, then what does that say about the actual politicking that goes on in Washington? Po those politicians are talking about Taylor Swift. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has asked Taylor Swift to not endorse Joe Biden. When I talk about Taylor Swift, I say it's, it's so obvious to me. Trump advisor Stephen Miller tweeted, quote, What's happening with Taylor Swift is not organic. On sale experience with Taylor Swift, one of the world's most popular artists. A resolution recognizing the year 2023 as the Taylor Swift era in Pennsylvania. As a uh, ode to Taylor Swift, I will say we know all too well. Let's say that I like Taylor's music about 25% less now. So I rise to wish Taylor Swift and all my birthday twins a very happy birthday especially representatives Madden and Major. But once again, she's cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers, so. <laughs> the politicians that are supposed to be writing bills and getting, getting signatories shit. and like implementing policies and fighting on behalf of their constituents and like deciding the where the money that comes into the government goes and deciding like, how should we help poor people? How should we feed people? Like. If they're the same level of detached from the impacts of what the government is ostensibly supposed to do for the population, then who has their hand on the steering wheel? So then I thought, it's not just that people participate in pop culture under the guise of participating in politics. Politics is itself functioning on the level of pop culture. Holy shit, this is fucking, this is wrestling. This is, this is the WWE this is literally just performance and like you only think it's real if you're nine years old. That must be it. Because if the voting citizens of this country cast their vote for their own representative to go to Washington and talk about Taylor Swift, nobody is driving this fucking ship. Not the politicians, not the celebrities, not even the fucking president. When we look at political figures, not just in this country, but like around the world, they're like pop stars. You know, we have fucking Javier Millet in his goddamn cape. We have Zelensky, who was literally on TV, played the president. He was elected into his television role in real life. We had Trump, who was four years the year fired guy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so at this point, when we have an empty suit running the country, who are we actually giving our money to? And the answer is Raytheon, the fucking Pentagon. We are giving our money to the Pentagon. All of our tax dollars are going to fund this black box in which otherwise smart, level-headed people will just entrust the future of the planet. And they don't have receipts for anything that they do. Nobody knows where the money goes. They can charge whatever they want for a single unit of whatever the fuck they want. The Pentagon doesn't even know where the, their shit's going. The, the closest the Pentagon has ever come to actually achieving a successful audit is two years ago when they were capable of accounting for 41% of their assets. If you look at politics with this lens that like 
what we know as quote unquote politics is basically just a pop culture wrapper around a blank check to the military industrial complex. The way that the United States has been engaging with like Yemen and yeah, it's Ukraine wild to me that like we're bombing Taiwan. three countries, but our government's official position is that we are not in a state of war. We are not at war with anyone. We do not see conflict, but we're bombing three countries. And I really can't help but think that this is a form of fascism that in the same way that the Marxian conception, the Leninist conception of imperialism as the highest stage of capitalism can predict almost everything up to a point like we are almost reaching the point at which the concentration of capital has become so great that not even the greatest intellectual Marxists of not even our time, but just like all time could comprehend not even capitalism as we know it can even contain the straight like you you called it the momentum like the yeah the, the inertia of empire yes the inertia of empire i feel like this is almost its own living creature because yeah like it has a will of its own and it's consuming tons and tons of living people both from within the imperial core and around it we're all just kind of slowly getting sucked into this fucking black hole of like money that's just being continuously pumped into the most expendable product of all time nothing is more expendable than weapons it is the perfect item within capitalism it i feel like it it transcends capitalism yeah honestly it does kind of transcend capitalism what yields a better profit margin than the thing that becomes immediately obsolescent? And also required, immediately required for replenishment. If you use it in the perfect manner... It explodes. Yes. It makes me think of, like, it's the inverse of, like, Goldman Sachs telling Pfizer that pursuing a cure for cancer was not a sustainable business model. Weapons were perfect because, like, the argument Goldman Sachs made to Pfizer... Hashtag my corporate overlords, technically, more or less. That uh, it's not a sustainable business model because if you give the cure to something to people, then they won't need to come back for more. But weapons, complete opposite. It blows up and then you need more. And and I feel like that kind of comes full circle back to the people like Stephen Lynch are saying like the for-profit <laughs> healthcare for system, it doesn't work. So I don't know what fascism like what truly what means strain of this is in the American context because it's so intimately linked with the United States. Like white supremacy has been like a foundational element of this society. Yeah, it's a country that was founded on genocide. It constantly lies to itself. It only survives through deliberately misleading its own citizens into believing a history that never was, and then blindly being subservient to it beyond even the logic of, like, the people that pay a ton of money to get educated about it. Yeah. The people that go to schools to get economics degrees are effectively uneducating themselves about how the economy truly functions. And Well, when you think about it, like, economics as a profession uh, is kind of like a religion because it yes. has, like, no basis in fact, but, like, you believe in the dogma. I can't remember, but there was, um, there was an episode of Rev Left... They kind of deconstructed neoclassical economics and like that was what Brett said about economists is that they are They're the new high priests of capital. Yes. Or at least that's how I look at it. Did I use that sound drop like in I think I did as the opener for one of the episodes of um Oh no, I've kind of held that view for a few years. 
because like I I went to school like for political science and like most of it was this like kind of pop culture bullshit or like it's eight fifteen in the morning on a Wednesday and I'm like calling out my political science professor. Um, that's bullshit and never happens. Why are you trying to tell me it, it did? <laughs> that's bullshit and never happened. I specifically remember this one time. He was talking about, like, the Clinton impeachment, and he was like, oh, they didn't do it because they decided it was too divisive for the country. I, like, raised my hand and I was like, um... That is absolutely not what the fuck happened. The Republicans literally accused Clinton of being like a pedophile and a murderer who like murdered a member of his own staff. It's because they didn't have the votes. And he, he just didn't have an answer to that. <laughs> I remember saying that exact line of like, economics is just religion for rich people at like Thanksgiving a couple years ago. And everyone looked at me like I was insane. It was like, what? It's true. Yeah, it is Marxian economics are economics from a working class perspective. But when we use economics without any other context, what we really mean is economics from the capitalist perspective. It's like we pretend and thus align our beliefs and desires and fealty to a class of which we do not belong. And we have to remember that we are eating out of the trash can of ideology. Seriously, I don't have the other one. <laughs> it's uh, funny because like the most successful capitalists have a Marxist understanding of economics. Mm-hmm. And then you have dipshits like Elon Musk who are just, they completely buy into the whole capitalist economics. And uh, look how that's working out for him. Like you said to me uh, back in July, when I was giving you right to like the vet and you're like the most dangerous capitalist is like a reformed Marxist. Damn. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I think about that at least a couple times a day where you're like, yeah, it's like Mussolini like getting into power. And he's like, what if we did like evil, but like on purpose? Yeah. I mean, it, it <laughs> I try not to think about it honestly, because it like, I feel like that could be a thing that keeps me up at night. Like it takes a special kind of fucked up, to learn Marxian economics. And then decide to use it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and just disregard all of the humanism, flip it over and say, yes, all of this exploitation shit. Well, that's give what me a sociopath it, give me that. is. You're, I know. <laughs> I take solace in the knowledge that most of the people ostensibly running the show these days are extremely incompetent and stupid. That's how you end up with like the Cokes because they market themselves. It's probably little bit too on the nose for a verb but they portray themselves well one of them's dead now so it's well, just yeah. the coke i don't know why people still call it the coke brother it's like one of them's been dead since like 2021 or whatever the fuck because his name is on everything also <laughs> he's like it's like oh we can't remember charles's first name so we'll just keep calling them the brothers <sighs> <laughs> I didn't actually get into this because I don't have anything to say about it. I just thought it was really funny that like, (coughs) sorry, I have bronchitis, Um, you know, as part of this weird political theater that like in the same way that people who love wrestling, like they know that it's not real, but they still pretend that they think it is real. I think that's how politics can be for conservatives who don't really have like any stakes in it. It's like some kind of like, kayfabe that like liberals don't understand because they're just like white people and they're always going to get what they want and like they're fine they have their needs met and like they get to choose how they want to be like racist and old or whatever so they go down to the border and pretend like the country's getting invaded but 
it there is something funny about people who are like maybe like they don't pick up on the vibe in the room and they go and try and check it out themselves and they're like wow this is like pretty dead you know <laughs> this is not as popping as i thought it would be um and they get genuinely confused but it's like that <laughs> that's funny to me not because it's like oh those people are like they got what was coming to them or whatever because it's like they're not going to learn their lesson probably <laughs> Obviously not. But it's like funny because like I was fooled because like I thought they were in on the joke, but they actually weren't. So like that's funny to me. I had that preconceived notion that like they were smarter than they were, but they're actually not. That that dude with like the fur hat. <laughs> yeah, like maybe that guy doesn't know he looks like that. Wasn't I like, is he actually like aware? Like it doesn't seem like he is. So yeah. Maybe they're not all in on the joke, but I do get the sense that that is what Trump's function was. Like, he played into the lore of wrestling, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was like a Vince McMahon right-hand guy, so. And also someone who is capable of understanding that a lot of it is full of shit. Yes. He's not, like, wedded to the ideology as much Exactly. He doesn't have faith in the system. I remember he was asked something about, like, how, like, oh, like, Russia's a bunch of, like, killers, and I'm like, yeah, but aren't we also, like, yeah. that? <laughs> we got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? That's what we are. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. We're good at and, it. Like, the interview is, like, blue screening. Is like, that's not <laughs> the answer you're supposed to give to this question. When he made fun of Nikki Haley for, like, not saying, he didn't even say that he believed. <laughs> Yeah. That the Civil War was <laughs> about like, slavery. That was a pretty bad thing to say. He said, that's what you're <laughs> supposed to say. <laughs> it's really timely that you mention that because this past weekend, Saturday Night Live opened with them making a joke about her not saying it. And they basically made it into like a fluff piece. And then Nikki Haley was just like, oh, yeah, I should have probably said that the first time. It's live from Saturday Night Live. And like all the people are just like applauding. And I'm like, wow. We're, we're at the stage of, like, fascism and white supremacy where, like, Nikki Haley just being, like, super racist is just kind of a nice little joke. I mean, yeah. Joe, earlier when you were talking about Palestine, I thought you said death, yeah. diarrhea, and destruction. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should just be, like... The three Ds. <laughs> that should just be a new thing, like... And that that's some more death, diarrhea, and destruction for you there. <laughs> Finland back offensives and death, diarrhea, and destruction. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that is a weird twist. In the in the grand scheme of things, I was not expecting to see Finland go the way of the West and Norway not. Yeah. Also, Belgium. Yeah, what the fuck, dude? Uh, apparently, Belgium has a large Palestinian population. When when did they ever give a fuck about minorities, dude? That That's also true, which is why I'm confused about Belgium specifically. The first thought I had when Belgium was like, we're not cutting off unrefunding, is like, wow, you gotta do a, a lot to, like, upset a Belgian. Just ask the Congo. I guess of all, like, the historical empires, theirs has shrunk the most... I mean, if you want to go back far enough, uh, because of the fact I have a Portuguese grandpa, he'll, you know, tell you it was Portugal. You don't want to bring that up because, like, yeah, we were the first to do the slave trading. That's not a good flex to make. <laughs> Brazilians no. still speak Portuguese. There's a lot of speakers of Portuguese, so it tips the scales a little bit. So what happened? Belgium was like, we're not cutting off underfunding. And then, and then Israel, Israel was like, oh, like, we we bomb your house. 
That's what they said. They became Italian for for. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to all Italians. <laughs> what was it that they bombed? They bombed like the consulate or whatever. The development agency or whatever the fuck. Associated very, very politically savvy on this show. Yeah, maybe we should actually like know what this is that they got. They got I, I know what it is. I just can't remember what the fuck it's called. Do, do, do. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. It's Gaza Aid Office. Oh yeah, the that's, Gaza Aid that's Office. What... I was reading about the talks about like the ceasefire, and I was like, Jesus Christ! The Prime Minister of Qatar has like an insanely long name. Like that must be exhausting to have to read out loud on a regular basis. <laughs> We're not gonna say it. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I found it. Mohammed <laughs> bin Abdul Raham Al Thani. Like Jesus Christ, man! Like takes up your name takes up an entire line. There's nothing else to that. That's, yeah, that's, that's all you segment. <laughs> okay, it's just a long. Okay. He just okay. had a very long name. Like, yes, wow, I agree. Just... Man, <laughs> I agree. Has the name long is very name. long, Joe. Indeed. Wow. That, that's yes. really the uh, the extent of the analysis there. You have anything else about Palestine, Joe, or do we want to do some shit you can't make up? I want to hear about the. No. Okay. I'm bleeping that, so it'll be a surprise. <laughs> okay. Is that that's not the thing, right? No, I decided. Well, you'll find out. Okay. It's shit we're gonna find out. I like that that you still you can hear the let's go in the in the song. Okay. So I, I like to do lesser known stories and I have one, but I also want to talk about you may have heard about this pigeon <laughs> that <laughs> was <laughs> it's the pigeon's fault. That's that's how I feel about this. Basically, there was a pigeon that was found in India and it had it had a message written on its wings in words that appeared to be Chinese according <laughs> to people for the ethical treatment of animals. A historically very reputable organization. Yes. <laughs> this is CNN reporting and quoting PETA. We should, you know, keep that in mind. But supposedly there was like Chinese writing on the pigeon's wings. So this led to a suspicion of spying and caused the Indian police to seize the bird. And they sent him to a animal hospital for a medical exam as part of an investigation where he stayed for eight months. Actually, I shouldn't say he, because I don't know the... Do birds have genders? Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's the pigeon. pigeon's fault. <laughs> they released the pigeon. It's amazing to me that it took them eight months to investigate. Is this a Chinese spy? Yeah, I feel like they could have just x-rayed it once and then let it go. <laughs> but I don't know. 
It's like the Indian government is run by my coworker Bob, who thinks that every Asian person he encounters in real life is actually a Chinese spy working for Xi Jinping. <laughs> That's like actually funny. <laughs> I know. And I, feel like I, that... I am not exaggerating. He does think that everybody he comes across at Pfizer who is speaking in a language he doesn't understand and looks Asian is a Chinese spy. There gets to a point where it's like, it's not even racist. It's just like, that's just Bob. He's old. (laughs) 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 Hey, that's just Bob. He's old. (laughs) Anyway, the reason that this pigeon got let go is because PETA intervened. So, well, wasn't there like a separate pigeon that India detained in 2020? Because I thought they were working for Pakistan or some shit. Oh, no, there was another pigeon taken into custody in 2016 after authorities found it with a note that threatened uh, Indian Prime Minister Modi. <laughs> I don't know if PETA got involved in that one. Somehow, like, India has regressed back to, like, the telegram, and it's like a bomb threat, but strapped to, a, like, a carrier pigeon and flown in a general direction. Pigeons used to be very savvy about their navigation. Ah, so you're saying it's the people have gotten dumber. There's also a uh, part in this article about a snowy white beluga whale from 2019 who was spotted wearing a specially made harness with mounts for a camera, leading experts, I don't know who those experts were, uh, to suggest that the whale may have been trained by the Russian military. Oh, I remember that. (laughs) They nicknamed him Havaldemir. Nobody nobody knows what happened to him, and animal rights activists and marine experts are concerned. <laughs> I'm concerned. Where are you, Valdemir? Where do you go? Where did you yeah, go? I remember Norway was, like, accusing Russia of, like, trying to, like, train, like, dolphins or whatever. No, they did. They actually did. We, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but that was... The CIA tried to do that, too. They tried to teach... <laughs> they tried to teach dolphins to speak fucking English, dude. <laughs> amazing how stupid the cia is sometimes <laughs> they spend money on the, the most unbelievable shit i still remember like in a committee hearing like 10 years ago john mccain was complaining about how the department of defense spent 14 million dollars on bomb sniffing elephants i think it was the uk that buried these nuclear devices and they i think the goal was to have <laughs> i can't even talk about this <laughs> They buried a chicken underground <laughs> and trained it to do something <laughs> after what? after a period of time. The chicken is a sleeper agent. It's a real thing. It's just I I don't I oh, don't I recall the details. The CIA really was that stupid. Uh, Britain nuclear. Honestly, chicken. most of the most of the like <laughs> attempted assassinations on Fidel Castro like seemed like they were cartoons. Uh, yep. <laughs> Project Blue Peacock. <laughs> Quote, the project's goal... <laughs> swear to God. The project's goal was to store a number of 10 kiloton nuclear landmines in Germany. These mines were intended to be placed on the North German plain and detonated by a wire or an eight-day timer in the event of a Soviet invasion from the east. Uh, okay, so... Where does the chicken come in? So the chicken comes in... This is just quoting directly from the article. A technical problem... <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> a te- a t- 
A technical problem is that the temperature of buried devices can drop quickly, creating a possibility that the mechanisms of the mine will cease working due to low temperatures in the winter. Various methods were studied to solve this problem, such as wrapping the bombs in insulating blankets. One proposal suggested that live chickens would be sealed inside the casing <laughs> with a supply of food and water. They would remain alive for approximately a week. Their body heat would apparently have been sufficient to keep the mine's components at a working temperature. This proposal was sufficiently outlandish that it was taken as an April Fool's Day joke when the blue peacock file was declassified on the 1st of April. Tom O'Leary, head of education and interpretation at the National Archives, replied to the media that, It does seem like an April Fool, but it most certainly is not. Wow. That's incredible. That is amazing. <laughs> I liked your description of it better. Like they put a chicken underground. They did though. Like that's it, that does it, something. <laughs> I mean, they literally didn't really think about it past that either. They were like, I guess we just put a chicken in there. <laughs> it's like the is this some kind of tube but approach to like nuclear weapons? The chicken's gonna live for a week, then we get more chickens. <laughs> That's how it works. Do they have to, like, dig it back up and replace the dead chicken with the new chicken and then bury it again? It, yes, was, a, it was a temporary solution to a temporary problem. Can solve the problem for up to seven days. <laughs> well, I've got a second part to this segment. This is the real part. A story about a British zoo. <laughs> the topic is these parrots that have been swearing. But they, they, CNN insists on using the term potty mouthed, which I <laughs> which makes just it like think somehow. is so weird and childish. The, the, the parrots are potty mouthed. So they have these five African gray parrots who were donated to Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in Eastern England. Boo. But they started swearing. <laughs> and apparently the, the park chief executive was like, the language that came out of their carrying boxes was phenomenal, really bad. Not normal <laughs> swear words. These were proper expletives. So, like, I don't even know what they what these birds were saying. It's like a slur for Asians that haven't been used in, like, a century. Yeah, it's That sounds bad. like a normal British thing, though. The British do like to swear. They do like their swearing. I was just talking about being racist in, like, very antiquated yeah, that's, ways. That's what I, that's what uh, I interpret yeah. this <laughs> yeah. to be, and it's like... <laughs> Yeah, I've been to England. They are incredibly racist people. So they took these five birds and then they added three other birds that also are patty masks. And they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take these eight parrots and put them with ninety-two non-swearing parrots. <laughs> Let me guess. In hopes that they learn to. <laughs> it says if the new strategy works. The eight parrots could learn, quote, all the nice noises like microwaves and vehicles reversing that all the other parrots in the flock favor. But if the other 92 instead pick up the expletives, it's going to turn into some adult aviary. So basically they're taking this risk. So they're either going to end up with like 100 parrots that say nice things or 100 parrots that swear. <laughs> And I just think that's very brave. <laughs> it's a bold strategy, to say the least. This guy, uh, Steve Nichols, the park's chief executive, he said six of them have got men's voices, two of them have got ladies' voices, and when they're all swearing, it does sound really bad. 
I don't know why, but I imagine that being said in like the Michael Caine voice for some reason. I wish I could do a Michael Caine. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. You 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 know it's who like that the is? Butler and like the Christian Bale Batman movies. I still don't know who that is, dude. I'm pretty sure he was in Austin Powers. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen. I mean, I've seen Austin Powers. Pretty sure he was in Austin Powers, but I forget who he was. Anyway, Michael you Caine. you know who Michael Caine is. You just I'm gonna don't look know who, that I'm you gonna... know who Michael Caine is. Oh, Michael Caine. Yep. Is he still alive? I think so. That's a good question. He is like really old. He is really old. Yeah. God. well sorry (laughs) sorry that he's dead or sorry no I mean I don't know I'd be like sorry you look like that I don't know (laughs) sorry you're like I wouldn't want to be that old I would that would be that would be sad I would you might be. I don't someday. know. Maybe I'm just projecting my own, like, fucking. I'm just so black pilled and, like, I don't want to be ill. I just want to put me out of my goddamn Is misery. Is this you, like, way. trying to ask me to be, like, your healthcare proxy and, like. Oh, yeah. If I'm do that, that old. If I'm that old and you're still alive, dude, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but. <laughs> I guess you'd still be younger than me, but yes, please. Yeah, I know. I love that I'm younger than you and you're like, if you're still alive. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> Because physically I'm like aging like three times faster than everyone else. Sorry, man. Your brain is still spry. <laughs> Your brain's like a young buck. Yeah, Dick. It's like a freshly peeled orange. <laughs> Take me to Georgia, I'm gonna eat a bunch of peaches. <laughs> Peaches for free. Peaches come from a can. They they were put there. But we went, used to go to the orchard and they had a man. used to grow the peach peach cans out of the tree. <laughs> if I had my little way, I'd, I'd, eat, I'd eat peaches every day, Jack. That's all I would eat. Monday, peach. <laughs> Tuesday, peach. Wednesday, peach. Thursday. You guys peach. are just going with this, and I'm just like reciting the lyrics to Peaches by the <laughs> President of the United States of America. <laughs> 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 you guys are like, well, Hava got really good at rhyming all of a sudden. I thought you were just like, ri- you were good at riffing. <laughs> That's what we were doing. <laughs> I thought you were like keeping the bit going. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. I was I was vibing. <laughs> oh, sorry to sorry. I guess to that blow makes sense. <laughs> I guess that makes sense because I did start with song lyrics, but like I didn't know the part that came after, so that's on me. Sorry. Right. I know like all the lyrics to this. It's song. like that Eiffel sixty five song. Jack, I'm blue. I'm blue, Dabadi Dabada. I know the lyrics to that one too. <laughs> he gave a speech last week where he was like slurring his words and it didn't really sound like any kind of language, let alone English. It was met immediately with raptures and applause. I'm like, wow, these people are just like, they will clap for anything. Well, he hasn't died yet. Yeah. They're just happy that he didn't die. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Cheers to the groaning noises. If he's making noise, he's still... <laughs> yeah, you know. he's still alive. He's not a pile of cats in, a, <laughs> in the, the skin of an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about you, Mrs. Whatever it is. I got my son a best. <laughs> my name is Hava, and Hava. you can't... <laughs> You can't find me anywhere on the internet except for this podcast. Joe, what do you know? I'm Joe. That's my name, Joe. (laughs) Uh, I know. It's part of why I genuinely hate him is that he gives Irish Catholic people named Joe a really bad name. I'm probably also not worth finding because I'm like too sick to like really have the capacity to do anything in the last couple months aside from like tweeting about baseball, which... I guess it's probably for the best for Scott that he get banned from Twitter because he was always irritated about how like all I you can find me in Martha's Vineyard golfing in VR (laughs) (laughs) with my buddy Rap Rock. I I saw like a a clip of like someone with like a pair of VR goggles. They put it on and they ran like straight into the microwaves. He smelled really good for a black man. And he's Jesse. I'm Jesse. You can find some other shit that I made. YouTube.com slash at Contingence Boston. C-O-N-T-I-N-G-E-N-C-E. Boston. And your slam recommendation this evening. It's not even actually slam, but it's fucking heavy. Your slam recommendation is... This is an album entitled Suffer With Me. Oh, good. That's what I'm doing with you. You're both suffering. And it encapsulates everything about how the last few months have gone for me. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to not be more of a this episode, gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Guys, gals, and envy pals. And anyways, the band is um, the Stygian Complex. They're from North Carolina, the down south of my neighbors down south. This is jazz. <laughs> Hunters, I was listening to this angry crap. I don't know why they're so upset. This sounds like a bunch of bees. But yeah, they're dope. The Stygian Complex. They they had an album that dropped the same day as another band that I thought I was going to feature, but... My face hurts from laughing now. Some brutal deathcore right there. Support them. That's it. We got a Patreon. You can support us at Epic Incredulity. What else do we have? It's patreon.com slash Epic Incredulity. (laughs) Yeah, that. Close enough. Um, <laughs> give us five stars. Give us five stars in the Michelin, man. <laughs> you ever seen a Ghostbusters video and a big marshmallow? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a Instagram. At the end when he explodes and he drips on everybody and he's dead, but it tastes good. <laughs>
Yep, we got an Instagram. <coughs> I think that's all we got right now, functionally. Yeah. I'm not going to do the other shit. I mean, I probably should, but you can't make me. Yeah, you can't make me either. Just like a yeah. cat. You can't make him do anything. Nope. You can train cats, bro, but I don't think you can train cats to be like weapons of war. <laughs> Yeah, you can train them to talk with with words, but you can't train them. Oh, my cat has definitely got libertarian vibes. Yeah, I'm like coming to terms with the fact that even though I love Bindi, I feel like (laughs) in good conscience, I have to kind of place her. She's almost like in that problem quadrant because (laughs) she, she can seem a little conservative. She's a bit of a traditionalist. She kind of is the mother figure. She needs her space. She's not really. She doesn't understand the the children, you know. I hate to say it. I think she's a top right quadrant. My oldest is kind of like it's the bottom of the top right quadrant. Not quite up there, but like he's definitely like the alpha cat. He gets annoyed every now and then, but he's mostly in the bottom right quadrant of like I will do whatever the fuck I want, whatever the fuck I want, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well. Now that we've talked about our cats, maybe it's time to say but tank though. But tank though. And no, Joe, you're all you're so late on that. to pee so bad that 